there and welcome back to Season 1, Episode 56 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to sit down with Katie Cole, author of the book, Developing Female Leaders. Um, somebody you've probably heard me refer to on the podcast, somebody that I've learned a lot about lot from when it comes to um, leadership and then specifically female leadership and what that looks like, some of the barriers. She is someone that I quote a lot when it comes to the theology and how egalitarian and complementarian and what that looks like and where we get our view of um, in the church, where we have people that love Jesus, all reading the Bible, following God's word, but somehow we, we see it differently. And um, she unpacks that very, very well and um, just very insightful. And so we just sit down and then I get to ask her some questions and get to learn more from her. As you'll see, she's a phenomenal communicator. She's very insightful. Um, And she just shares from over 25 years of experience um, leading organizationally in the church. She's a nurse like me, background wise, but now she leads organizationally. She's led um, in multi-site churches. And now she's honestly, she travels and she speaks and she writes and uh, she's just a phenomenal communicator. So it was great to have the opportunity to sit down and learn from Katie. And I do really appreciate her spending some time with us today. Do want to encourage you to continue to send in your questions for Back Channel with Foth. And that's just an opportunity where we sit down and get to ask um, Dick some questions and learn from his wisdom and insight and his experience. And um, just continue to send those questions in. My email is in the show notes. And then we they normally go off of the, um, the growth capacities um, for the Africa House and uh, personal health, family health, uh, building teams. Um, genre of leadership questions you can ask. and um, But you can send those questions in to me and we'll get those to Dick and then we'll get to learn from him. Do want to thank the sponsor for our sponsor for today's episode, which is Dr. Sean Ricker, um, providing advanced care friendly service at Cumberland, Cumberland Optical. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Well, greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be um, here today with Katie Cole. And uh, anybody that has listened to the podcast knows that I have uh, quoted her uh, quite a few times um, as we've talked talked about the subject of female leadership and honestly, just leadership in general. And um, I'm so excited to have her here today to learn from her. So Katie, welcome to the podcast. Would you be willing just to share a little bit about yourself for those who have not read your books or have not followed you before? Sure. Thank you, Aaron. It's really an honor to be with you and uh, to be with your listeners today. I uh, live in South Florida in the States. I've been in full-time ministry just over 20 years. My previous profession was a nurse. I actually thought I would do medical missions similar to what you were doing, so it's yeah. fun to make that connection. Uh, I'm married. I have a, a 16-year-old son who is my tech assistant, and so if I <laughs> sound at all good on this podcast, it's because he hooked me up for Mother's Day with my own microphone system. Cool, um, and yeah, so I uh, have been leading in church ministry. I grew up in Montana in a very rural area with about 100 people in our local church where no one got paid. Uh, we were all just volunteers, and I thought that's just how the kingdom worked. Yeah. Uh, then I ended up moving to South Florida and found there's a lot of other ways that the kingdom works also, uh, and eventually got recruited to work full-time at my church and sort of just have a heart for especially local church ministry, for missionaries, for the empowerment of the saints uh, in the equipping of that. I have a master's degree in human resource development, so I do a lot of training and development work with churches now. Uh, I started my own company a few years ago, really working on leadership development systems, multi-site strategies, and church overall growth plans. 
And in the process, uh, ran into these limitations for churches to reach their mission because they didn't have enough qualified leaders. And as we dug into that, we realized we were really missing out on a lot of the female potential in their churches. And I've been a female leader. I've been a leader most of my life. I've been obviously a female my whole life. (laughs) Sometimes that needs clarifying these days. Uh, But as we sort of unpacked this, I started to realize that I had this perspective and people were wanting me to explain things to them about why these women weren't stepping in, uh, some of the things they were trying to do, these really great godly male leaders, uh, pastors were doing things that I know their hearts were motivated in very positive ways, but the way it would come out or the, um, the phrasing they would use or um, maybe even just the way it was interpreted by these really high capacity women in their church, they were really just missing each other. And so I started to try to blend those two together and close that gap. And out of that came a bunch of research and then the research turned into a book. And so now I get to talk to wonderful people like you about the things I've learned and what I'm helping churches uncover. For me, it's really, I feel like a big giant, for the most part, um, a lot of misunderstandings and a lot of awareness that we need to bring to this topic. And And we've inherited a lot of mindsets and biases from our culture uh, and from other Christians that really just aren't helpful anymore. And it's not that God has changed his mind on anything. I actually try to do my best to support all theological views. But what I've found is that most of the time where we are stuck has nothing to do with our theology. It has to do with how our theology isn't matching how our culture and our leadership cultures are playing out in our churches. And that confusion and that misalignment is stalling a lot of women from using their gifts in ministry. And that is such a shame because we have such an uphill battle already, right? The harvest is plentiful and the workers are already few. Let's at least not take out the ones who want to be there. Let's get us all in the game, all moving forward in the right direction and all using the gifts God's given us, you know, for his glory and for the benefit of the people. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We normally end, we normally begin the podcast with a question. Um, we've just found that people learn more, I think, from the lessons learned in life and ministry. And um, how, is there over your 25 years of leadership and uh, specifically maybe in this area, or maybe it's when you were, you were nursing, has there been a lesson you've learned um, about leadership that um, has helped focus you as you go forward? Maybe a challenging oh gosh, time Aaron, or a story or something I feel like, like I could talk for seven days about that. <laughs> <laughs> the lessons I've learned. Holy cow. Uh, I think for me, uh, you know, I have learned a lot of different things. I do love to talk about that. Um, but I think at the end of the day, sometimes they all center around the same issues that I yeah. tend to struggle with. And it's like yeah. multiple dimensions about the same things. One of the most important lessons I think I learned, particularly being in ministry leadership and Part of this is because I grew up in a space where um, I was just all in for the Lord and for church ministry. And because I grew up mostly with a career and a family, and then I squeezed in as much ministry as I could around the edges. I think I went into full-time ministry and ministry leadership, just trying to do as much as I possibly could and really uh, overextended and went a little outside the normal healthy boundaries of what great leadership looks like, how to make sure I was being faithful to all my callings. And one of the most important was that, especially working in a church ministry, is I started uh, doing so much in what I call third person, where I was sort of one or two 
um, people away from the frontline ministry. Hmm. Um, and I had sort of given up first person ministry where I wasn't praying as fervently to share my faith with people I knew personally. I was yeah. really praying a lot for the big, you know, evangelistic program we were launching with hundreds or if not thousands of people and, or I was pleading for God to move in the hearts of people I didn't know, but I wasn't as connected to that frontline ministry where God used my unique giftedness, my unique mix to minister and serve a unique person that God had appointed me to connect with. And that really uh, undid something in me spiritually for several years that I had to work really hard to find again. I think a lot of it too is making sure I'm a member of my church, not just a leader or worker in my church and making sure I'm in a covenant relationship with my brothers and sisters, not one where I just give and they receive from me, but one where I give a little, but I gain a lot. That's what covenant should look like. And so those practices of just being a good Christian uh, were things that were far too easy for me to let go of when once I started leading. And I've started to realize, gosh, if I can be 80% of my effort just on being a basic, good, godly person and a good member of a church who's honest and loving and shows up with my best and receives as well as I gives, man, the 20% of leadership can naturally flow out of that. So that's probably my biggest lesson. That's Man, that, and that, as you said, that's it. That's a big lesson. And um, and so, how do you balance that in the sense that um, not maybe balance is not how it, what we're looking for, but I think a lot of leaders do struggle with the reality that when you're leading on a certain level, on a certain level, then to be hands on and engaging, there's all, there seems to be a disconnect. Have you found some f- certain things that practical things that you put into place that keep you engaged and and not seem to drift towards not the ivory tower, but a a place of leadership where you're not engaging with, with people. For me, uh, and part of this might be my personality, the way I go about it, but I had to create some structure. I wasn't very mature about this. I didn't have a lot of good discernment. I'm uh, an Enneagram, either two or eight. I don't know if you guys do the Enneagram, but I can't figure out if I'm a two or eight and I'm healthy in one or unhealthy in the other, or (laughs) if I'm conditioned to be a two because I'm a woman, but somewhere in between a two and an eight is where I hang out. And you know that two just wants to help, and that eight is a fixer. And so Hmm. I'm just so easily motivated not even by anything godly to help and to fix. And so for me, I was really immature because whenever I saw something wrong, I wanted to jump in. And whenever I saw a need, I felt the call to do something. And because I was immature in my discernment of those things, I had to put some structure around for me. So part of it is making sure I've got the same accountability I would recommend to someone who's new in the faith or that I'm discipling. Are you tithing? Are you serving? Are you praying? Are you showing up and being a part of service? Are you serving in your church body in a way that is in accordance with your gifting? Am I doing all of those things legitimately in addition to the actual structured role and responsibilities I'm giving? Or am I justifying um, not engaging in a personal, vulnerable, selfless way because I'm saying, my leadership is that, or I'm already paid less, so I don't have to tithe, or I don't do (laughs) Sabbath because I work in church ministry. You know, if I'm not willing to do the basic disciplines of the Christian life, 
Um, and really, once you do just the basics, that's a lot of time and energy. Yeah. I feel free to then lead to my full capacity outside of that. I even started in my leadership, particularly when I was leading at a very high level in my church. We had a very large church. I was overseeing all nine campuses uh, and most of the staff. And I started tithing my time as volunteer to other leaders because I had a lot of wow. people who wanted to spend time with me. It was easy for me to let go of my regular responsibilities to mentor people, to serve young leaders, because I just loved it so much that I had to put some structure around. I had to limit it to 10% of my week. So I would spend five hours a week donating my time to something that had nothing to do with my job description or my personal responsibilities. And there were seasons where that was a real limiter and I only allowed myself five hours. And then there were seasons where my work world was so overwhelming and I was so connected to performing well Hmm. that I had to force myself to make sure I was donating five hours of my 50 hour a week to make sure I was contributing in selfless ways that were unapplauded and unrecognized. Hmm. in my church, as well as things that were high profile and put me on a platform and got me a lot of accolades. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Since you talked about authentic relationships and engaging, one of the questions I wanted to uh, unpack with you, you shared that one of the biggest challenges for females leaders is feeling comfortable in their leadership and wondering how to be a strong leader and still be authentic in the relationships. Can you unpack that a little bit? Um, Is it something that has played over my mind um, since I read it um, six or eight months ago? So, I think for any person who is a bit of a minority in in a community or a team, it's always a little harder to know how much can I fit in and truly be myself when the group thinks sort of leans one direction and Mm. my orientation is a little different direction. Hmm. Um, And part of what we teach people as servant leaders is to adjust and serve the people we're serving, right? And a lot of leadership is to give up my own preferences for the sake of the people I'm working with or leading with. The problem happens is that if you're the only one like you, it's really easy to actually have none of you show up. It's so accommodating and you're trying to communicate and connect and fit in. And if the rest of the folks aren't realizing that there's something different about you, it's easy when if you're part of the majority and you feel like you fit in to not know how to reach out or connect or make space for someone who's a little different. And so many women, if they work in male populated environments, often feel that I want to be able to show up and talk about the game last week. But at the same time, I didn't have time to do that. I was going to the grocery store and I had my kids going or, you know, whatever the case was, or I don't like sports, or maybe I'm a total sports person. Um, I think any man who's had to work on a team of all women, Uh, might also feel the same way. It's like, I can appreciate what you're talking about, but that isn't how I, those aren't my hobbies. Those aren't my, uh, you know, those aren't the things I'm naturally going to easily talk about. And it's not that either of them are wrong, but these are the social, relational uh, friendship connections that build trust, build camaraderie, build chemistry on a team. They're very important. Hmm. And if we don't make space for one another, and stretch our natural affinities to be inclusive of each other, it's really easy for people to feel like they have to fake it the whole time they're there. And they're always kind of being someone else or putting on airs, which goes counter to what we know as believers, which is to be authentic and transparent and fully ourselves. And it never starts out that way. It just can morph easily that way. And so for women who spend a lot of time in environments that aren't with people like them. Now, there are some people, um, you know, 
know, there are times where I'm with a group of women and I feel more out of place there than I do hanging with a group of guy <laughs> leaders. Cause I'm like, I don't do my nails. I'm not, I'm not, you know, Betty Crocker in the kitchen. This isn't what I do. I'm not on Facebook all day. Like these aren't my people. Um, so it's anytime you're a little out of your element, but for yeah. female leaders working in male populations, I think that's what I was referring to in the book. Yeah. It's really easy to sort of feel like you're never fully at rest or really relaxing into who you are, which is partly why it's important for everyone to have a network of leaders that you do have a lot of similarities with. So if you are the one black person on your team or you're the one white person or you're the one person over 60 on a team of millennials, like right. you have to be a part of the team. And then you also have to make sure you've got your people that you can just really relax, take the mask off, talk about the real challenges you're going through and sort of gear up to be able to go back into it. But we as leaders, when I mentioned earlier about the discrepancy between our theology and our cultures, we as leaders are setting the culture. We're creating space where when we don't have a lot of diversity, we're automatically making some people feel as if they can't be fully themselves. And if you mm. can't be fully yourself, you can't bring your full perspective. You can't bring your full opinion. You can't bring your full contribution to the team. We're limiting the power of diversity all of the documented benefits that we get when we have a variety of perspectives, we're not only limiting by, by not including more people who are different, we're actually limiting the perspective of the people who are the minority yet are different. Wow. Well, that is gold. You know, it, I was talking to a female leader um, one day and um, she mentioned, she said, you know, when I'm in a group of male leaders, I don't feel like I can share, I can share my emotions because males, she said in a predominant, maybe this goes along and maybe I just would like to hear your insight on it. And she said, you know, I don't feel like I can share my emotions because it's not really accepted amongst a, a male group for me to share my emotions. Um, and I'm trying to, as you, what I'm hearing you say, trying to be a certain way because that's not not so readily accepted. And to me, honestly, that's heartbreaking in the sense that God has given us, given us our emotions for a reason. And if we can't be authentic in the way God has created us, um, man, it's a challenge because what you're saying is we want diversity on teams, but we really don't want diversity on teams because we want everybody to act and look and do the same things that we do. Um, have you run into that where when a group of male leaders they were uncomfortable for female leaders to share their emotions. And do you have any wisdom and insight for male leaders like me and female for male leaders on what we can do to, to not put that block in place? Mm -hmm. It's a really important topic to talk about because I actually have found men to be incredibly emotional okay. <laughs> when I work with them, particularly <laughs> in ministry. Our emotions just tend to be oriented differently and come out in expression very differently. Exactly. Exactly. And we're not as comfortable with the expression of emotions from women as we are in go. leadership circles with the expression of men. So when I find a man get incredibly passionate about something and it moves, you know, there's an awareness of a discrepancy or an injustice or yeah. uh, a group of people that are missing their understanding of God, or there is someone who is uh, being left out of the kingdom, or there is an oppression that God is stirring up his heart. Man, he has some serious emotions about that. There is, <laughs> they are fired up. 
They have a righteous indignation and anger about it. They are passionate. It comes out in huge vision, huge energy, major steps of leadership get motivated by that. Um, And we're very comfortable with that, particularly around passion and the, that righteous anger that we know is a huge attribute of God. I think for women, when they feel that same righteous indignation and their anger about that, um, godly anger comes out. It doesn't come out as something respected and visionary. People interpret hmm. it as uh, angry and demanding and hmm. bossy. Hmm. Um, it's interpreted differently because it has a little different note on it for women. Most women have found that they can't come out with that righteous anger that fires up leaders because it it just is not as accepted. So yeah. we tend to do the other thing, which is to um, come out towards our heartstrings. And we, we weep on behalf of the people who are suffering. And we mm. have great hearts of compassion. But then that comes out with a lot of times with tears. And mm. then men are not comfortable with crying. Yeah. I would say most of the time when I meet female leaders too, who maybe aren't, um, aren't stewarding uh, gifts of like mercy and compassion and helps, uh, they're their tears tend to be more around frustration and anger, but Mm -hmm. there's still tears. Nonetheless, women tend to express emotion, either compassion or anger through tears much more than men. Men will stand up and walk around. They'll get heated under the collar. They get red in the face. They might throw a chair, right? We're comfortable with that. Like I've sat in many uh, leadership debates where people are very hot under the collar, but most men cannot handle a group of women who are crying over the injustice that they're experiencing or seeing. And so we just are not conditioned for it. And so we want to see tears at the altar. We don't want to see it at our leadership table, but you know, the very thing that keeps men from being broken at the altar is the very thing that can keep women from making it at the leadership table. So all of those emotions matter. And what we're supposed to do in the body is know and see an emotion for what it is and allow it to be expressed in all the ways that God made. Jesus was just as angry as he was uh, weeping. He yeah. had all of the emotions, but our cultures have made some okay and some not. Some appreciated, some not. Some give you credit as a leader and some discredit as a leader. Hmm. And it's our job. Again, this is where our theology comes in because it's not like women cry and men get angry. So I feel like I'm even stereotyping <laughs> it in the example. You know, most of it, it comes down to what is the wiring and giftedness God gave you? And then our emotions tend to follow those passion spaces and spiritual awareness domains that God has planted deep in our spirits. And out of that is his move and his call to make a difference. There are, you know, I can watch pictures of all sorts of things in ministry, you know, end of the year giving booklets, right? Some of them move me to action and others go, I'm so glad someone else is doing that, right? Right. Some are part of my call and some are not. And so we have to have, uh, inclusion for all of those. I think one of the biggest shames actually, even I feel like it's a more injustice and one of our biggest limitations than gender discrimination at the leadership table is gift discrimination. That hmm. we want big exertive gifts at our leadership tables and we don't want gifts of intercession. We don't want gifts of mercy. We don't want gifts of help. We don't want those at our leadership tables. They slow us down. They make us care about the person who's getting left out. They make us care more about the under-resourced than the people who are privileged to have the gift of giving, right? We highlight certain gifts over other gifts. Paul talks about it, gift discrimination, right? And he talks about how 
if you're doing all these things, but not the other things, really, it's just, you know, loud clanging cymbals. Well, yeah. we don't fall into those traps anymore. We have our own traps because we, we love leadership in our church culture now. We don't necessarily love or highlight as much the other gifts. And so I see churches all the time who are just missing entire populations and entire ministries that we as the Christian church are called to do because we don't have any of those gifts in the mix. We don't resource them. We don't launch ministries with them. We don't give them places of leadership. We're missing their perspective. And then we can't figure out why we're not reaching an entire community. Part of it is because we're, you know, leading with one arm tied behind our back. Wow. Wow. And so when you, when you see that Katie in what advice do you give for is what, what can a leader do or what can a, organi- a church organization or a missions organization, what can they do once they've recognized that? Do you go out searching for people that have those gifts or what does that look like? I think anytime you realize you're missing someone on your team, you know, it first starts with prayer and awareness. Chances yeah. are, if God is calling you to it, he's already brought you the people. That's part of how he equips you. Uh, Less recruiting, more developing, I think is really the key to that. So if he's calling you to have a greater prayer focus in your church or ministry, or he's calling you to have more teaching and training, then he's brought you people with the gift of intercession and he's brought you gifted teachers. Stewarding that, building up those gifts, equipping the saints to use their gifts to build up the body. That's the job of the leader. It's not the leader to be everything. It's the job of the leader to facilitate all the ministries that are supposed to take place in a body. That's good. That's good. In in chapter five, you you discuss, since you talked about what the role of a leader is, in uh, chapter five, you talk about um, three primary categories of leadership. Um, Can you share what those three primary categories are and, um, and discuss maybe some of those that are underdeveloped? Well, I think leadership is oftentimes mistaken either as a gifting that you either are a leader or are not a leader, mm-hmm. or you are, um, it's something that everyone is a leader. And I think biblically speaking, first of all, I like both of those thoughts. There are gifted leaders, right? Romans 12 talks about the spiritual gift of leadership. Um, I think that everyone has influence and we certainly are all responsible for leading ourselves and those people that God gives us influence over. But at the end of the day, leadership is also a skill set. It is something that we all learn and can nurture as we go. And so I'm actually not putting my finger on what you're referring to in the book. So I'm sorry, you might have to refresh (laughs) my memory of exactly what you want me to hit on. But I do think it's important to remember that there are people who are gifted in leadership and we have to develop those gifts. It might be intuitive, but they're not mature. They don't come to us as mature gifts. Uh, But then all of us have opportunity to grow in leadership. So even if you have a gift of service. You can be someone who is an amazing leader in the gift of service as you train other people, as you empower other people, as you grow to more and more levels of leadership. That's different than being a Romans 12 gift of leader where you're probably the CEO of the organization or the senior pastor of the church. And so knowing the difference and knowing what I'm stewarding and what I'm not is an important piece of developing as a leader and then also passing that leadership on to other people. No, it's good. No, you hit hit it right on the right on the, the nail right on the head. 
I was going to ask you in the beginning about the the theology part of, of fe- female and leadership and how we see male and female relationships. And um, I, I skipped over that because I was following our, our dialogue. But I do I would be remiss if we didn't unpack it a little bit because um, it's been profound for me. Could you what led you to even delve into the theology of, of female females and leadership and males and leadership and what that looks like? How did you develop that? And, um, and could you just share what, what you've learned? Well, for me, uh, I was actually going to try to write this book without touching the theology at all with a 10 foot <laughs> pole, because I just think, why would I do that? <laughs> it's such a controversial issue. Yeah. It's such a hot topic. It's so emotional for all people um, around the issue. And uh, people have very strong opinions about that. But as I got into it, and I think part of it is my own personal journey. And, you know, first of all, I'm a leadership expert. I'm not a theologian. And so uh, I don't um, pretend to have sort of the, the inner insight on the theology of this, but it does really affect us because our view of who God is and how he made us as people and how he wants us to operate really impacts and influences how we lead and the kinds of relationships we built, the way we interact with one another and how our church is formed. And that has a huge implication for women and men and people of all ages. It has a huge (laughs) implication for everything. And so it really does matter. On the other hand, I have been a part of a lot of different churches. And I mentioned my church earlier. Uh, I didn't grow up in a denomination. I didn't have certain doctrines that were taught. I just grew up in a missionary church that taught the Bible. That was their whole goal. It was a wonderful way to grow up that all you have to do is know your Bible and that's all you need to know. And uh, that has really led me well, but it's led me to very conservative complementarian churches. It's led me to very strong egalitarian churches. I was on staff at a church that's Um, when I came on staff was very complementarian and sort of uh, hierarchical and then transitioned to a more egalitarian uh, space. And so those places were all wonderful, wonderful environments for me to grow in my faith, learn and polish off my leadership gifts, have great influence, take on leadership. They were all wonderful experiences for me. And as I started interviewing people for this book, and doing the research, most of the research and most of people's conversation and dialogue around this was very binary. It hmm. was if you are conservative or complementarian, which has a theology that uh, men sort of oversee women or are the spiritual head in churches and homes, um, a more of a patriarchal mindset on the extreme, um, that if you are that, you are against women. And Mm. if you are egalitarian or more uh, progressive, that men and women are more equal and can share in all sorts of leadership levels together, that you are for women. But when I researched it, the opposite was true. I found, Hmm. actually not the opposite, there was no correlation between a theology and the number of women serving in leadership in these environments. I found very conservative environments where there were limitations on women's leadership but women were serving at all levels of the church leadership, including very conservative Southern Baptist churches, which are kind of historically known for being male dominated women at multiple teams of executive level leadership. And then I found churches who were very progressive in their theology, churches that were parts of denominations that were founded by women and they had (laughs) no women in their leadership, no women. Their, their uh, statistics were less than the average American church. So the average American church at least is 
61% female in the congregation and less than 10% female in their leadership, formal wow. leadership roles. And these were churches who believed women should be 50% of the leadership and had five to 8% of their roles filled by women. Wow. So there was just absolutely no, in my research, there was no correlation between yeah. the effectiveness of using leadership gifts. And so it really sent me on a mission to be like, what in the world is going on with this? Because my experience doesn't match this assumption. Yeah. The the leadership results I'm finding do not match this assumption about these binary choices for women leaders and against women leaders. And so what I started to uncover is that really from a theological viewpoint, and most of us probably know this, this is not a primary theological view, right, or um, issue. Primary right. theological issues, the ones that we would break fellowship, Christian fellowship over, are things like Jesus is the only way to the Father. Right. The Trinity, there right. is a heaven and a hell. The Bible right. is the inerrant word of God. Secondary theological issues are things that you can actually make a really strong biblical case for either side. And yeah. this would be a secondary issue. Uh, third, you know, tertiary issues are things like, you know, should you sing hymns or modern worship songs, right? <laughs> They're like, who even knows? A hundred years from now, there's going to be a different debate right. about worship styles. But secondary issues matter. They're very personal. They impact the way our churches live out what we believe God's inerrant word says, but we can make a debate about it. So they're debatable, but there are really godly, God-fearing, um, anointed and blessed and fruitful ministry leaders who have very different views on this subject. Hmm. And once we started to, once I started to sort of research and find what is the theology behind complementarianism and what is the theology behind egalitarianism, it has much more to do with our view of uh, the Trinity and how we see God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit lived out. So a complementarian view is really based on this hierarchical view that God, the Father, is at the top, mm -hmm. that then the, um, the Son is next and the Holy Spirit is third, and there's this hierarchy of authority. So that naturally plays out in our community because we live out in the image of God, right. a hierarchy. There is right. an order and an authority. The egalitarian view has the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as one and more co-equals. They more like, um, rather than a top-down leadership ladder, it's more of a circle in which they all love and uplift one another. It's more mutual submission to one another. Again, you can find both those hierarchy and mutual submission yeah. in scripture in the New Testament. Yeah. And so that plays out with a much more collaborative, much more equality, much more uh, team orientation that lives out in male and female. And by the way, lives out in our leadership cultures in other ways as well. And so both of them are biblical viewpoints. And I would say in our cultures, it's not even one or the other. I think our leadership cultures, particularly in today's day and age, I make a, a case that it's more of a spectrum. There are very hmm. strong egalitarian views, very moderate, very mild. There are very strong complementarian, very moderate, very mild. And there's this middle ground where you can't really tell what the church is. You walk into <laughs> the church or the ministry and you're like, well, there's a male pastor and yeah. only guys pray, but there are women called pastors. So yeah. what does that mean? Or maybe only the titles go to men, but there are women having very strong leadership roles. And it's this crossover that says we're kind of comfortable with this piece. We're kind of comfortable with that piece. It's a little fuzzy, but we're comfortable with it because we don't come down clearly one side or the other because we don't want to limit what God is doing. 
And so that's where from a leadership standpoint, it gets really clunky because theology is what we use to create our structures and our systems. And it's what our leaders down the line use to make decisions. And if we don't have clarity around that, it's really hard to delegate the culture we're trying to build. So deciding, even if you say our theology is in the middle, we have to clearly say, this is where we land and this is how it plays out. And this is how we choose to treat one another in as best accordance as we can read from scripture. We're trying to be as faithful to what we believe God has called us to as possible. That's way more empowering. I would say even if you have one or two roles, maybe that you reserve just for men Hmm. or just for people over 60 or just for people who have been in your denomination for a long time, you can reserve leadership for whoever you want to, but you have to say it and you have to justify it and you have to bring clarity to it so that women or whoever aren't feeling like they aspire to that role and can never quite get there and they don't know why. Or they can go, I actually believe I'm called to that. So I'm going to go to a different church where I can fulfill my calling. And you don't have to have argument and disunity in your body. You can agree to disagree and just simply find the place in the kingdom where you can serve in the way God's called you to serve. Wow. So what I hear you saying, it's that distance between expectation and reality. If it's not clarified, that's where the dissonance or the frustration, maybe the exasperation could take place. And so it's better for leaders just to, it's better to clarify it so people know where you stand. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. And it's freeing for me as a female leader. One of the reasons that we miss out on so much leadership capacity is if you are a woman who knows her Bible and has been in church for more than a couple years, you know this is an issue. I mean, it is, no one has to tell you that there are some areas you should not delve into. We all know it, we feel it, we see it. And so godly women, I mean, For men, I feel like there are some, you know, make or breaks of your leadership. You can have all sorts of sin as a pastor, but if you, you know, bend on sexual purity, you're done. For a female leader, I mean, we can sin in all sorts of ways, but if we overstep our boundaries around men, we're done. We're Mm. discredited. It's hard to regain trust. Uh, Even the women turn against you. Like this is the unforgivable sin, in my opinion, for most female leaders. So we will lead way below wherever that line is. It's the same protection I see around men and sexual purity. They'll give up leadership opportunities to not bend the rules on that because that's the one you don't come back from. But for women, this is the one we don't come back from. I'm not saying you can be a woman and have an affair and come back. I'm just saying this is the one we're all scared of. And so we hold way back, way, way, way. And so if you, let's just say on a scale of one to 10, uh, your limitation around women is an eight, right? There's some roles they can't do, but we would want them to live to an eight. But if I don't know it's an eight and I'm a woman who cares about honoring my leaders and cares about honoring God, and I don't want to overstep my bounds, I'm going to lead at about a three or a four, which means you're missing my capacity in all the roles that are between a four and an eight. That's your small group leaders. That's your Sunday school superintendent. That's the person who's out running uh, ministries on the street. That's leading a mission trip. That's all the things that you can do under the headship of a male senior pastor or a male leader in your organization. You're missing out on my capacity. And I'm certainly not going to ask for it or apply for a job unless you help me know you want me in a seven role. You actually wow. want me to a 7.9. Help me know that and I will bring all of myself to it. You just got to tell me where the line is. I won't be offended. I'm probably not called to be a 10 anyway. I know that. 
Now, some women are, but very few. There's very few men who are called to be a senior pastor or the head of something big. So that does not offend me in the slightest. But if I'm a four, but I have the capacity to be an eight, and I'm leading at a four, I'm going to feel frustrated. I'm going to go sell skincare to use my potential. I'm going to volunteer my brains out at my kid's school, right? That's all capacity designed for the kingdom. But a leader has to lead. We all know that. And if you don't get to lead in the place you wish you could, you'll lead somewhere. And that's the delta that we're missing in the kingdom. Wow. That was... That is gold and worth it. You know, I had never, th- I've never thought about it in that way. That that's the, as you said, the unforgivable, unpardonable sin for females is, is and it makes sense because I can honestly think back in my life. I grew up in the church, been involved in missions, and I can see that now that you explain shared that and explained it, I can see instances where I've seen that played out and um, on more than one occasion and. Um, and seen females that had leadership capacity and potential be taken out because of, I don't know, but it's a, it's a man and we can do better. We can do better. Katie, I have enjoyed my time um, with you today and learning from you and um, just appreciate, how can people follow, follow you on social media or get your book or how, how do you, how should they follow you? Sure. The best way to connect with me or find any of the resources uh, I've got on this subject is my website, katiecole.com. That's spelled K-A-D-I-C-O-L-E. And you can follow me on social media at Katie Cole on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome. Katie, we end the podcast normally in time of prayer. And um, would you just pray for the audience in whatever way you would like um, that God will use what you've shared today um, for all the males and females listening, um, that this would not just be head knowledge, but these are things that we will ponder and we will ponder deeply and profoundly. And then um, as God speaks to us, put, um, put, put it into action in our hearts and lives. Absolutely. Thank you. Father God, thank you so much for just the opportunity uh, right now to come together as brothers and sisters. And really, as you talk about in John 17, the unity uh, that you desire for us, your final prayer would be for those yet to come. That's that's us. We're the disciples yet to come. And when you looked and into the future and saw us leading in the places that you've called us, using the gifts that you've given us and anointed us to do good works for your kingdom, God, there were a lot of things you could have prayed for for us. Um, there's a lot of strategies. There's a lot of uh, leadership. There's a lot of opportunities we have in our day and age. But you knew that the thing that would stand out differently more than anything else would that we would be one as you and the Father are one. And so, God, I'm just praying that for us as your brother, as your children, as brothers and sisters. God, would you help knit our hearts together? Would you help us to see your kingdom as? big and as full and as colorful as you have designed it to be? Would you help us to see your spirit and your calling in each other fully? Would you help us not to uh, leave anyone out that you have gifted and called to be a part of the effort that you put us in charge of? God, would you expand our leadership? Would you broaden our reach? Would you open up our hearts? Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Not just the truth we already know and are sharing with others, God, but the truth that you have yet to reveal to us. Would you make us sensitive to your spirit? Would you send the people that you have called to be a part of the harvest that you have uh, ordained for us? Would you help us to recognize the people that you have already called that we have not stewarded well, 
that we have not invited to the table, that we have not developed their gifts. God, break our hearts for the untapped potential that you have put in the people and the leaders around us. Lord, help us to be great stewards. Help us to lead ourselves well, to be godly leaders who include all the people uh, in the decisions, in the perspective, in the work that you've called us to do. And more than anything, Lord, I just pray that we would glorify you and how we go throughout today. Help us to uh, walk in your spirit. And God, I pray a special blessing on your listeners, uh, those folks that are in tough callings, reaching groups of people that are outside their own, that probably even they feel like a little like the outsider. God, would you help us to renew our sense of who you are and who you created us to be? Give us boldness, give us faith, give us courage to be everything you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 